Welcome, welcome, welcome to everybody's favorite cinema podcast, Looking California, Field, Minnesota. I am the Looking California portion of the program. My name is Michael McCaffrey. I'm an extraordinarily handsome, wonderful dancer, great singing voice, and I sometimes write about movies. And I am joined by Barry Anderson. Barry, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I... I also am handsome, but the other things I don't do as well. So I just uh, spend most of my time directing, <laughs> studying, storytelling. Uh, so today is a very, very interesting episode. I'm going to give listeners a cue or oh, a clue as to what we're talking about today. Ready? I just met a podcaster named Barry. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, so the details of West Side Story are, of course, it's directed by Steven Spielberg, who every movie he makes, he gets top billing. So there he is. It is written by Tony Kushner. Of course, it's based on the play by Jerome Robbins. And uh, from 1957, I think the play was. And then the original movie was 1961. Um, the music's by Leonard Bernstein and Stephen Sondheim. You know, that's pretty much as good as, as it gets. Uh, the movie stars Ansel Elgort, Ariana DuBose, David Alvarez, Mike Faced, Rita Moreno, one of my good friends, and Rachel Ziegler. The movie shot by Janusz Kaminski, uh, which hopefully we'll talk about. Oh, and Michael Kahn edited it. Interesting. I didn't know that. Um, it has a budget of $100 million. And when you factor in all the marketing they did for this, and they did quite a bit. Yes, they did. It's probably, it's probably double that. And thus far, it has made a whopping $28.2 million. And it's been out for two and a half weeks. Tough break. Um, okay, so... West Side Story, we know the story. It's basically Romeo and Juliet sort of set in uh, 1950s New York between gangs of uh, lower working class whites, uh, Irish, Italians, et cetera, et cetera, uh, and against uh, Puerto Ricans, Puerto Rican gangs. Uh, the Puerto Ricans are the sharks, I think. And the, uh, is that right? I can't even yeah, remember. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah, sure it they're, is. They're the sharks. Yeah, the whites. The, the <laughs> This sounds like the worst uh, school report I've ever written. So the white <laughs> youths are the Jets and uh, the, the sharks are the Puerto Rican gang. And Maria is a young, beautiful Puerto Rican girl. And she falls in love with, uh, she's played by uh, Rachel Ziegler. And she falls in love with Tony, who is played by Ansel Elgort. Tony's a pasty white kid. And they fall in love. But they're, of course, their love cannot exist in this clash of cultures between the Puerto Ricans and the whites in, on the west side of New York uh, in the 1950s. Hence the Romeo and Juliet. So that's the story. Um, so Barry Anderson. I saw this movie, I think, when it first came out a couple of weeks ago opening weekend i think i may have seen the first show of it uh all by yourself too <laughs> i did i went and saw it by myself which is maybe one of one of the most pathetic things i've done in my entire pathetic life um what did you think of the movie barry i'm interested to hear <laughs> you always ask me tough questions because like these sorts of movies <laughs> yes you can have an e-jerk reaction i like it i didn't like it but like you want something more nuanced than that. And I've seen this, you know, I've seen it in movie form. I've seen it in play form. You know, the music from, and you know, the songs from this are some of those ones that I don't think people, when they're seeing them, realize they're from West Side Story. You know, mm -hmm. it's kind of, you know, it's very much pop culture. Um, the story itself, I, I loathe uh, Romeo and Juliet, and hence... I don't like that aspect of, you know, this play slash movie. Um, I thought this movie was really uneven. If I had to rank, it's one of the few movies that had a very bad to disastrous start and then started to find its footing before it kind of fell off the rails. Um, but by and large, 
I don't know why they remade this movie. <laughs> I, I, I don't, I don't understand. Like Steven Spielberg gets like 10,000 scripts a minute. You know, he can have every new book, every new anything. What, in, like in what universe, what timeline in the Marvel Cinematic Universe did he go, man, I'm going to definitely spend, you know, two years of my quality output and, and bank on this movie. I, I don't understand. Um, and we could talk about things to like, things not to like, but I, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand. You know, it's funny. Um, I don't think I sent you my review. I intentionally try not to send you reviews. I write because I know we'll talk about them, about the movies. But in my review, the opening part of it, I said, um, yeah, Steven Spielberg can make any movie he wants. Yes. Why he made this one is a mystery to me. And after seeing the movie, it's still a mystery to me. I don't understand it. And I've heard him, you know, with, with all the media stuff going on with this movie, he's been out there talking about it and, you know, doing patty cake interviews and, he was saying that, oh, when he was a kid, the, the soundtrack to the Broadway show, you know, the original cast, that was like the first album in their house and everybody sang along with it. It was a thing. And it's like, oh, OK, that's great. Um, and, you know, the movie from 1961 has gotten really um, disparaged in recent years because, you know, it was it was politically incorrect. It did not cast. Uh, Latinos in the Latino roles. It was it was white actors that they darken their skin. Even Rita Moreno, who is uh, a Latina, um, they darken her her skin for the movie. And you know, it's obviously that's totally inappropriate. You're like, oh good lord, you know, that's it, brutal. But that movie is a movie of its time. It's a very good movie of its time, and. Yes, uh, you know, Natalie Wood is not a Latina and she didn't do her own singing in the movie, um, but she was a big movie star and, you know, she lights up the screen and that movie won something like 10 Academy Awards, 10 or 11. It, it was a monster. It was just enormous. And the decision to remake it, from what I can piece together from Spielberg's comments about the, this new one and you know we have to say spielberg is one of the bigger pandasaurs dinosaurs in the world he he panders quite a bit he gets into sort of pop politics and all this sort of stuff in his movies but he's he made it seem like he was writing the historical wrong of that first movie i that's fine I, I think that's sort of horseshit. Um, I think it's he, he's doing, he's saying those things and he maybe even made the movie um, to do that. But it's, it's, it's a, a sort of a bit of pandering in an attempt to get an Oscar, which, which I feel like he's desperate for with this movie, which I just, but I agree with you. I don't understand why you make this movie if you're him you can make anything and you well, make I mean, this I, i'm gonna go back a few years ago when he made ready player one i was unfamiliar with the book yep didn't know yep. anything about it and i talked to friends who love the book and they're like it's pop culture it's all these references and like i think i've seen subsequently he said that that was maybe his most difficult shoot outside of jaws which anybody who has knows anything about steven spielberg jaws was not an easy shoot but like, at least that was interesting. Like he's trying to take on VR. He's trying to take on a different world, you know? And you're like, okay, I want to see what he does. And I felt like this movie, I almost fancy him thinking like this was his way of living back in the thirties with, you know, he's on sets and he's on a crane and it's like the studio yeah. systems engineering it. And it just, for me, lacked any sort of like energy or like, passion it was just like a how do i craft shots how do we light it you know yes. do we have the right people in there and it just it felt like everybody was excited to do a movie that nobody was passionate about if that makes sense 
Like if I was writing a review, yeah. that's the review right there. Like yeah. all the actors were excited, <laughs> the crew was excited, Steve was excited, and then we got there. It's like, all right, who? And you're like, oh, we're just gonna do the work, but there's just nothing, nothing burning under under the under the the hood. It does. It it now there are some sequences in the movie that I thought were well made. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and well shot. I I, I thought uh, Kaminsky's cinematography was. Um, an interesting homage to the original film in some ways and in other ways just uh, original visually original there are a little too many flares for my taste <laughs> i'm sure they they jumped out at you uh but i i liked the sort of gritty stock that they were using and and, and i i think that worked and and the dance the the song number you know the song america I think that that crackles with an energy that just jumps off the screen. And the actress who plays Anita, her name's Ariana DuBose, um, she's terrific. She yeah. she's really good, and she's she's just a, a a powerful performer. And so watching her was great. I have to say. The rest of the cast just wasn't doing it for me. No. And the rest of the numbers didn't do it for me. Ansel Elgort, I, I don't understand this kid. Like, I don't get it. He is dead weight. And those numbers, I mean, that's always going to be part of the problem with this show is you have to have really strong people as Tony and Maria. And I thought Ansel Elgort was just you know, a wet blanket. And this Rachel Ziegler, people are like, oh, she'll get nominated. I'm like, I, I didn't think she was good at all. I just did not think she was good. She has a, a pretty voice, but she doesn't perform particularly well. I mean, the problem, I think, especially trying to tackle this story kind of in modern times, it's like the wrong vehicle to get across kind of, what people are struggling with or, you know, what problems still exist. And those are really dark. Like some of the themes are really, really dark. And like this idea of, you know, it, you know, if I dislike another group enough, is it worthy to go murder them? And, and then you have this like almost corny, happy choreographed dancing, singing. And it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting here as I'm watching, I'm like, how, how would I even, put these two together because tonally they're completely opposite in the latter yeah. part of the movie that it totally gets darker but it never gets dark enough because it's kind of interspersed with these dance scenes and then it, it anybody who's had to suffer listening to, to me talk about i don't understand mob movies never have don't like mob movies because i sit there watching and i'm like man all of these people are terrible they all deserve to die and there's no redeeming quality. And near the end of this movie, what, in, a, in a great story, you have the understanding of, man, this person's stuck and either decision's bad. Or, you know, you see them going down the wrong road and you could see another path that they can't see. And you're like, oh, rise above it. And it just seemed to me like dumb teenage boys you know, getting the best of them, making stupid decisions with zero consequences whatsoever. And it just, I'm like, I don't understand, like, what's this, like, what's the moral tale that we're telling? What's the cautionary tale we're telling? What's the consequences of these behaviors? And I just thought it got really confused. So if you were distracted by the, the wonderful music, and that's enough to sustain you, that's great. But the underlying kind of dark but real troubles of humanity that were there i just thought that it was completely like a kid playing t-ball and he couldn't hit the wiffle ball that was sitting right there stationary on that little holder and steven's just swinging away and you're like steven take off the blindfold man just just hit the ball there G give us something and i just felt it was empty well I'll, I'll push back a little bit on that just uh the idea of no consequences i think doesn't really hold true because you know a lot of people end up dead <laughs> at the end of the movie so there well, are consequences it, 
you're you're right in the fact that you know, but it was like the 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 people committing the acts outside of the first one where you know you could argue was it a you know was it actually intentional versus it you know that tragic accident when everybody kind of gets all worked up and something goes awry but then it was just kind of like okay well then Ansel just goes and you know stabs the other guy and yeah. then he just kind of absconds I mean there's a gang from what I know I wasn't in a gang but I had friends I guarantee if there was one single dude <laughs> that did something like that, they would all jump on him. So he just like walks away scot-free and then he, you know, cops are busting everyone, but nobody's looking for him. So he's going to go sleep with his girlfriend so he can run off at night and not be tough. Like it just, it felt like there was never, none of that was grounded in the rest of the world they had created. It was kind of like this sits on top of it and separate, but like there was never a scene where Ansel was in danger of getting caught after this and then when is it chico uh i can't remember the guy who picks up the gun at the end that goes to get um uh, uh, yeah it's chino i think chino. i think that's chino but yeah. he's like walking around brandishing a gun you know yeah. the cops are every, like cops are everywhere but they're never with the people walking with knives okay. or guns down the street so like you, you just need to set it up like they were one step ahead of the cops and it just felt like well, the cops are around, but we won't bring them in until after it's over. Like, it just felt very lazy. Like, it didn't need to be set in a world because it's a Hollywood film set. But if you're going to lean into that, then it takes away the gravity of these bigger topics. And I was just like, man, I feel like if you're going to tackle this story, tackle it in a way where, you know, it's tragic, but yet there's like, what can we learn from this? And I felt like walking this movie, I'm like, well, don't don't instantly fall in love with someone and then go murder someone and then try to think that's going to go well. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, well, if we well, have to teach that to our fellow <laughs> Americans, we're, <laughs> we're in deep trouble. I don't feel like that's the number one problem in America that just, we're going to fall in love with someone two days later, stab uh, their brother. And then by the way, Maria having zero like issue with her brother being killed. Right. And just yeah, like, yeah. like, like zero, like that didn't matter yeah. at all. Like, so like, you know, and then like the sister that was married to the sister-in-law, like, you know, that scene between her and Maria, boy, yeah. did that get diffused real quick. And then it's just like, okay, I understand, but we won't talk about it. I'm like, dude, an older sister and that, how powerful that character was, she would have smacked Maria around a bit like, no, 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 no. This is not the way this is going down. You're not going to go chase after this murderer and leave the fam. Like, it's just crazy. I just, I was so befuddled as what I was watching. Well, uh, again, let me push back a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you're, oh, yeah, you're, yeah, trying yeah. To, you're, you're, you're getting angry uh, about a musical not being realistic. When pe I mean, like, people are <laughs> dance fighting, for Christ's sake. <laughs> you're like, what is happening? Yeah, it, I mean, look, you, you can't impose reality on this yeah. nonsense. You, but the problem but is... They, but they tried. That's the thing that that's was a, weird. I, that's exactly that, true. Yeah. Like, yeah. As soon as you dip into that world, now, now you've yeah. got to thread it. And if you do it right, then it's almost like you reinvent the genre. You're like, whoa, yeah. I didn't see that coming. But I felt like even that America number, the one where everyone's dancing in the streets and stuff, that was probably the most ornate kind of... Yes. everything camera choreography and i still felt like it was like one one thousandth of a b-side you know uh, musical from the 60s that nobody saw like i i yeah. didn't think that it like felt like there was no m magic to it like you know they didn't play enough over the top i think the two best shots in the movie are when the two gangs come together and you see the shadows yeah, yeah. kind of meet shadows, like claws yeah. And like, boy, oh boy, he kept playing high on the crane, but not going overhead. And like, you watch any of those great, like yeah. the floor becomes like the whole tapestry. And I just thought that they left, like, there's so much they could have done. And I just felt like, yeah, let's never get the camera higher than that. And uh, when in doubt, we'll just cut and go over there. Like, wow, this is lazy filmmaking. And I don't feel like in general, Spielberg's a lazy filmmaker. Yeah, so uh, again, the, the point about like imposing reality onto a musical, it, it's an absurd notion, but you're exactly right. Spielberg is 
and he's openly talked about this, is that like this is a more realistic version of the story. It's sort of this grittier thing. And, and my pushback is just what you said. It's like this story is innately in absurd, you know? So like the original movie from 61 is with the vibrant colors and things like that. It's, it's a painting come to life. It's, it, it's a dream, yeah. you know? Um, and, and this one tries to have it that way. of like, Oh, you know, this is real life. And then there, there's a sequence where uh, uh, Tony and uh, riff, fight over a gun they they try and get a gun oh yeah that's what the whole feeling i wanted to just light myself on fire watching that scene it, it was so ridiculous and so it, it's just it's moronic no and, my that had my favorite shot in the whole movie in that sequence and you'll remember it when i tell it to you because there isn't anybody on, on the planet that watched that sequence that when I pointed out won't be like, oh yeah, that was really weird. So they had whatever the cement dust. So when they could slide through, yeah. there was like, you yeah. know, motion. Well, there's a scene where Tony and Riff, they go from kind of chasing each other to almost like about facing. Yeah. And one of the other dudes decides to squat low in the frame, but his head is occupying three quarters of the whole frame. And he sits there. And I think he throws some dust up on either side and then they cut away. I'm like, why did they have him move through the frame? Why did he stop where it's just this giant noggin <laughs> in the middle of the frame? And not only did they shoot it that way, the editor, Michael Kahn's like, yeah, let's leave that one in the edit. And I was like, immediately, that should not be nominated for best editing. I don't, I don't care what, like he should not have listened to Steven. And Steven's like, that shot has to be in there. He's like, no, that shot's not making it in the movie or I'm taking my name off the movie. I was like, what is happening right now? I was very confused. Yeah, that, that scene killed me. And just to go through, you know, some issues. So <laughs> this isn't even just, I mean, again, if it's like a reality thing, but like Tony and Maria falling in love so quickly is oh my so God. unbelievable. Now the, that was probably my second favorite shot. So the it's a proverbial, all they have to do is they each see each other and it's like, I might as yes. well have your baby in like, there, there was not a, a moment. But what's funny is they have, again, if you're going to spend the money on production design and you have all this stuff going on, there's a scene where Maria, you're looking through all these bodies dancing, but she's clearly kind of the star. And then you reverse the Ansel Adams Oh, Ansel Adams. Good golly. Mixing my art <laughs> forms right now. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. But he's sitting there and like, for whatever reason, instead of being, I, I'm guessing it was like a, you know, a 24 or 35 mil on Maria. And when they flipped it, it was like a telephoto lens where you yeah. basically saw no context of where he was. He's just staring at her. Then it goes back. Then later on, it comes back. And again, it's a wider lens back and you see all this stuff. And I'm like, why, why on the first reaction, did you take him out of the environment? Like, I'm sure they were like, well, we're just going to show that he really fell for her. And I'm like, man, you are, it's like, it's like if a, a magician was like, pick a card, he hands you a card from the deck that he's looking at. It's like, okay, now don't show it to me. Like, but you just showed me that you picked it out. You looked at it. Like it was so heavy handed that I was like, I don't understand these choices in the filming and the editing. I just, boy, oh boy. It just seemed like, there was no subtlety. There was no artistry to it. It was just like, I'm going to hammer a bunch of nails into a board. And like, I probably only need four to make it work, but I'm just going to put 40 nails in to make sure it never falls over. And then you come to the construction site, you're like, I don't know if these people know how to build. Cause that's a lot of mess that's still, you know, in the frame. And I just felt most of the scenes were constructed in that way that even if they weren't all bad, it just felt like there was no craftsmanship to it. It was just kind of like, overdone or poorly done or weirdly like ham-fisted or weirdly like here's what i want you to see see it see it see it yeah like, okay yeah. i got it i got it i got it and and i mean look that that's not an uncommon thing with spielberg particularly in this you know last third of his career um he, he can be pretty heavy-handed with stuff but okay, stop! Stop calling out Lincoln. 
right now. I just know I can see it written across your face. Oh, you just point, don't point to that one. He's moved beyond oh, that. Oh God, help us! Goodness gracious, Lincoln. We're we're gonna at some point we're gonna have to do like yeah, no. a rewatch of Lincoln and just yes, we do. We, we might, should go we through. Might, the... We might live broadcast that one. <laughs> It's just us stopping the movie yes. every 15 every- seconds swearing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, he, he is obviously heavy-handed. It, but, you know, so all of the things that we're talking about, uh, you're talking a lot about just the craft that goes into making a film like this. And I'm talking about just the this, this stuff in my wheelhouse, which is like these actors. So. Ansel Elgort is so ill-equipped to play this role. And, you know, his singing is is of a certain type that, you know, you go, oh, okay, that's passable or whatever. But he is such, he, he lacks any charisma whatsoever. So that people watching this movie, they have to already go along with it. The movie doesn't take you there. You don't go, oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I see how Maria would fall for this guy like that. He's, he's just got that. Or the other way, Rachel uh, Ziegler, she's the same way. She's, she's this sort of dead-eyed presence on screen too. And especially when you compare them to uh, like Ariana DeBose, who like every scene she's in is just crackling with yeah. her. And it's well, just she, like she's you can't take her eyes off her. She, she had, I think, all of the best scenes in the movie she was a part of. Uh, yeah, and, and, it, and, and it, look, it's the best role. I mean, there's it, no yeah, doubt. It it's, it, in Romeo and Juliet, Romeo and Juliet are not the most interesting characters. And, you know, it, it's usually Mercutio and, and the nurse. And that's what it is in this as well. Yeah. Um, I had problems with the, the guy playing Riff as well, Mike Face. I thought like, yeah, okay, I'm not buying that. And of course, well, the, as I wrote about the biggest problem with this, this story and these and movies like this or the shows is that especially this movie you're since they're being so realistic i'm sorry but like i don't find either of those gangs remotely menacing you know it's like it's like you see him walking down the street like oh my god here comes a group of you know your modern dance troupe look out it's like i'm sorry it's it's not working but but, but when they're snapping their fingers then you gotta you get something bad's gonna happen (laughs) The, yeah oh something's definitely bad gonna happen when they snap their fingers again because this movie moved in you know tried to play both sides the backstory of um tony is that basically he comes out of prison after basically right. oh. beating a person both basically to death and you just watch that stupid spotlight on his face we're gonna get to yanzu in a moment because i i'm gonna oh man that's the as bad as Steven was, his DP, 100% worse. Just absolute <laughs> dumpster fire. But, like, Ansel's got, like, one spotlight on him wherever he walks in the frame. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just like, this guy doesn't look menacing. He doesn't look dangerous. He doesn't look like a badass. He doesn't look like... I, like, I he, got like the rest bit of in trouble. I, in my review, I said uh, he does... Because, uh, again, that's in addition to the story that... that Tony is fresh out of prison and like he's yeah. this tough guy. You know, in the original, he's he's this extremely sensitive young guy. That's part of his appeal. But in this, it's like, oh, he's out of prison for nearly beating somebody to death. And as I said in my review, I was like, look, he doesn't look like he just got out of prison. And if he had been in prison, his dance card would have been very full, full <laughs> in there. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's just not, it doesn't work. And Ansel Elgort is such a doughy pasty white nothing it's just yeah. awful awful oh so, so yes part- let's talk about uh, kaminsky because the thing that jumped out to me so much is um a lot of camera movement which you know well that's Kim- that's spielberg but like yeah it, it's it, spielberg at his best and even in this last third when his movies aren't the best there's sequences we were just like Yep. My God, it, he is just a master like we haven't seen, like, especially comparing him. Anybody that wants to rip Steven Spielberg is having, you know, he's lost his touch. Go watch any director. 
outside of, I, if I say take five directors that are currently working and take them off the list, you want to take off Quentin Tarantino, you want to take off Chris, take off five. That's all I'm going to give you. And Steven Spielberg can basically direct circles around everybody left on the list, yeah. even on his worst day. So let's get that straight that he, it's not like he doesn't know anything about making movies. He's just lost his mojo into why he's making movies anymore. Exactly. Talk about that. That, is, that is well said, yeah. But I have had a problem with, how do you pronounce his name? I only see it's, is it Janusz? Yeah, Janusz Kaminski, yeah. So he's done a ton of Spielberg stuff. And I hate every one of them. <laughs> like, I, the, the, and, and I'm going to narrow it down to one specific thing that he does. But we could talk about some of the other stuff. But for whatever reason, his shtick is to blow out the highlights. Yeah. In the windows, you know, if he'll he'll grease someone's face and he'll blow it out so that like there is nothing left, and it is, it is uncomfortable and painful to the eye to look at. The art of cinematography is like a a a mesh between painting with light to pseudo realism to real like. It's complicated to make it all work. But to me, when you do something repetitively in any genre, and a lot of them have been um, historical movies, uh, period pieces he's done with Spielberg. But like, as soon as you're like, you know, if you're like in a car on a sunny day and you see a hot reflection off another car, you like put your hand in front of your face because it hurts your eyes. And literally all of his highlights are that way in every stinking scene. I want to yeah. cover my eyes. And I'm like, that's you're doing your job wrong like that's not yeah there's a way you can still have a hot you know a highlight edge you can put on different filtration you can make it where you know it's kind of a bleached look but like whatever his secret sauce to do that i find as if i'm you know at night somebody turned on their high beams and i have to kind of look at the side of the road not to crash and i don't know why a, he keeps getting nominated for Academy Awards and everybody worships him. I hate that. There were other reasons in this to hate as well, but that's my biggest pet peeve. And you can see it in Lincoln. You can see it like every movie I, right away. As soon as I see a scene when there's light coming through a window and it's Spielberg, if I don't know who is a DP, I could tell you if it's Janusz or not right away. Like instantly, I'm like, nope, yep, okay. Yeah, it, it felt like, I mean, like I said earlier, I mean, there are so many flares in this movie it's it's insane like where you're just like what in the hell is going it feels like like a commercial at times where you're yeah. just like what what is going on and go, go, go ahead no but like you, 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 so saving private ryan perfect example yeah. so they use that quite a bit he uses the same sort of gritty look um you know the 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 more uh earthy color um yep. and stuff and then adds those sort of flares or the washed out stuff uh from the edges and but he doesn't do it every single scene correct yes in this it feels like every single scene we have that <laughs> at least it, 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 not every shot but every scene every sequence we get that and it's just like man oh man it, it just and it just doesn't work for the material, number one. But also, like you say, just it becomes grating to the yep. eye. You know, well, I and, know and, and I have this a lot. I, I get a chance to work with both new people and people I've worked with a lot. And I think sometimes when you're younger, you know, but I also know older, you know, creatives that still have that fire. It feels to me like, you know, my DP will want to do something often. And every once in a while, he wins the battle. I say, okay, yeah, I think that works for the scene. And then I want to do something all the time. And then the actors, <laughs> the DP are like, dude, we, we can't do that all the time. But it would be really great here. And it's kind of like there's like a, a natural, not like an adversarial, but there's kind of a checks and balances to make sure that, you know, you didn't hand the key to the cookie jar to the kid and he's running around with his face <laughs> dripping with chocolate. And I feel like at this point in their creative relationship, it's like a rubber stamp to anything either one of them wants to yeah. do. Hey, Spielberg, yeah. what do you think about this? Great, love it. <laughs> hey, Janusz, what do you think about this? Great, love it. And you're like, is there a discussion of things that maybe should be toned down? Maybe not all the time. Maybe let's like use that once on a like 
particular scene. I don't think those discussions happen. It's just like, what are we going to do today? Whatever you want. Okay, great. <laughs> what are you going to do today? Well, I mean, Whatever that, I want. Great. That team that he has, Kaminsky and Khan, the editor, I mean, they've been working together for I know. Thir- 30 years. Well, Khan, you know? Khan edited, uh, what was his first Spielberg? Because uh, he wasn't on oh. Jaws, but what is it? Uh, was he on uh, Close Encounters? Oh, I don't know about that. Uh, let's see. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, 81. So, I mean, that was, a, he, so he I, won an Academy Award. Well, hold on. So he, you're right. He may have been. Yeah, he did Close Encounters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what, 70. 77. Jesus. Oh my you're, God. You're 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 getting closer and closer to a 50-year partnership there. Yeah. And he stuck in the guy's head in the middle of a frame that you're watching on a whatever a hundred foot screen, and you're like, is Michael Kahn like losing his touch? What's happening right now? And I'm not gonna second guess him because his his style is pretty his resume is very difficult to argue against. Oh yeah, it's tough. I mean, it, it's weird. Um yeah, so from technical aspects, and, and the other thing that's interesting, or maybe not so interesting, is that every Spielberg film gets the benefit of the doubt. So critics adore this movie. They yep. absolutely adore it. Uh, I, I, something, you know, like 90-something uh, um both critics and audiences. I mean, I don't expect audiences to know anything, um, but critics just pander to him so much. It, it's absurd. Yeah. So it's a 93 critical score, 94 audience score. Um, it's just really interesting because he always gets the benefit. So Lincoln's a perfect example. Well, I, I'm going I'm to push back a little bit before we go to Lincoln. There was yeah. a stretch during his career that critics hated him, even oh, when he was question. doing great. So that yeah. that is a that is a second half of his career adornment, not yes. a not you know he he wasn't wonder kid in the critics' mind right away. No, no, no. Yeah, no. He was he definitely, and I think that's part of why he has such an iron grip over the sort of critical community and the media, which he does. He controls that because he controls access and all these things. But at the beginning of his career, he's churning out like. Jaws, Close Encounters, Raider of the Lost Ark, like these classic movies, and critics just aren't giving it to him. Yeah. And it infuriates him, right? So I get it. But like critics now just reflexively are like, oh my God, it's amazing. Lincoln's amazing. And of course, Lincoln, as you and I both know, we've seen the movie. I, I, I don't think it's hyperbole to say that movie's a fucking disaster. <laughs> <laughs> that movie is a mess like storytelling wise narrative arc it's just a, an absolute shit show and they're just like oh my god it's the greatest movie i've ever seen and you're like oh good lord now west side story wait before we go same. back to west side story i got a fun yeah. question okay if there was for sure off the off the record and somehow you got on the compound with yeah. Daniel Day Lewis, Danny, friend of mine, does Danny honestly think that the work that he and Spielberg produced is great, or does he go like, "Yeah, I did the best I could, but I don't know what was happening"? <laughs> is Daniel Day Lewis confused <laughs> or not as to um, the quality of work being done? It's funny that you mention that because he he is actually somebody that I know quite well, and he's my cobbler. He fixes all my shoes. Yeah. Um, and I went to him and he was fixing one of my shoes once. And I asked him, I'm like, hey, what'd you think about Lincoln? And you know what? He said, I don't think about Lincoln. I think about the shoe I'm fixing right now. That's Daniel Day-Lewis, yeah, Barry. That's true. Okay. He's, he's not only enough. the greatest actor we've had, he's the greatest cobbler in the history of cobbling. I mean, that's a, that's uh, a heck of a dynamic duo. <laughs> yes, it is. No, I don't know what he'd think of it. I mean, who knows? I'm sure... Somewhere deep in Daniel Day Lewis's heart, he thinks like, oh, "That's a shitty movie, but you know what? I got an Oscar out of it. What do I care?" Um, <laughs> so, but I'm and no, I'm not friends with Daniel Day Lewis. In case people think I'm serious, uh, but West Side Story, it's the same thing. These critics are just 
they, they know they're supposed to love it or they think they're supposed to love it. And so they love it. But something interesting happened with this movie. And this part of what I wrote about when I wrote about it was that earlier in the year, the movie In the Heights came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, it's his, he didn't direct it, but it's his uh, Tony award-winning Broadway show that it's based on. And it's supposed to be this a big thing about diversity and representation because um, it's about Washington Heights, which is a, a heavily Latino area in uh, uh, upper Manhattan. Um, and the movie built itself as this big victory for uh, diversity because it was written by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's directed by John Chu, an Asian filmmaker. The cast is, you know, this very diverse, wide array of, of uh, uh, ethnicities. But the movie came out, critics loved it, even though it's a bad movie. I saw it. It's not good. Critics loved it because it, of what it represented. But then it got in a lot of trouble with those different communities, different Latino communities, particularly the Afro-Latino, Afro-Latinx, whatever, Latino community, uh, people with darker skin who are Latino, so Afro-Latino. And they felt they weren't represented in the movie. It became sort of uh, that, that argument gained traction and the movie ended up now it's Lin-Manuel Miranda apologized for that movie publicly he's like oh we have to learn and this and it's like wow so twitter basically castrated this film and which you know this is uh, like i said the movie sucked but west side story tried to do the same thing and back in the spring when in the heights came out i wrote about this i said wait until West Side Story comes out. If you think this is bad, wait till that, because I know Spielberg and like, he's going to push his stuff. And of course he pushes the whole diversity thing. And I have to say, I think the movie is better served having actual Latinos play Latinos in this movie. I mean, it's better than having white people darken their skin. I mean, that's absurd. Um, but there's been a huge amount of pushback. And if you, even if you just go to the Wikipedia page, um, for this movie holy cow uh there's a whole section criticism of the film's representation of puerto ricans and you read this stuff and you're just like whoo wow <laughs> people just knives out uh no pun intended and the new york times just last week had an op-ed that was titled here it is um the west side story remake we didn't need and it's all about how West Side Story is racist or uh, anti-Puerto Rican. Um, it, you know, it, it doesn't make a very compelling argument to me, but it does make an argument. Um, but here, I'm going to read something. This is on the, the Wikipedia page, but it's a quote from uh, Arlene Davia, uh, who wrote an op-ed in El Nuevo Dia. This is what she said. She said, it's sad to realize once again that the reality that Puerto Ricans and Latinos will be reduced to made up themes and ideas taken from the playbook of what Puerto Rican and Latino are to the white imagination. Because what's certain is that nowadays, Hollywood is whiter and more exclusionary than ever. Think about that (laughs) for a second. So consider, so 1961, let's just go back to them, was Hollywood whiter and more exclusionary back then than it is now right and so and there's all these things uh, it is absolutely you 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 I recommend people go to the Wikipedia page and read it there's one person uh Karina Del Valle uh Shorsky she wrote West Side Story might not be a confederate monument but it is a monument to the authority of white Americans to dominate the conversation about who Puerto Ricans are. And each revival renews that authority and co-signs the narrative for a new generation. I'm so glad that West Side Story is not a Confederate monument. That makes me feel so much better. And I'm sure everybody who played, did it in high school can feel better about themselves. It's this sort of hyperbolic, cultural moment that we're in that Spielberg is stepping into 
and people have complained oh again it's just a movie it's made by four white men did the original wrote and directed and choreography and music um and that's it's irredeemable that's what people are saying it's irredeemable and spielberg stepped into this thinking oh but i'm steven spielberg like i'm i'm a good i'm one of the good ones so it doesn't apply to me and i'll say all the right things and i'll i'll go out there and he went and spoke he went to puerto rico and spoke with students at a university there to sort of uh, you know, get their thoughts on how the story could be made better and things. And he made changes to it. So he cast all Latinos. He put Rita Moreno. She, he gave her this role that wasn't in the original. Um, it, it's it's a, a pretty important role. Of course, Rita Moreno won an Academy Award it, for uh, the original. I mean, going back to number one, after just hearing you talk, I think I went to the wrong movie. I don't know what movie I watched. So uh, for all I know, I watched it. I, I feel I, like we all went to the wrong movie. Yeah, That's I how I, I feel. I, I don't know what happened there. But the part that touching on, you know, coming off the Me Too movement, coming off some of the, the you know, the clashes between, you know, different racial groups. I, I, I thought it was interesting. I think it was awesome to have Rita Moreno back in the, the movie. Yeah, I like that they created the character for in the pivotal scene where they basically try to rape. Yeah, uh, what's her face at the end of that? She just says that she's disappointed in these men and walks out the door. And the men are like, what do we do now? I guess we'll just run out the world. I was like, what? What is this scene? Like, what is this saying? Like, again, this is like. You the, got a the woman potential. in power. Right, the potential power of that scene is is the reason Rita Moreno is in the movie. Correct. And the, Rita Moreno played Anita. Anita is the character who almost gets raped. And so she played that role in 1961, won an Academy Award. She's Rita Moreno. Um, I will tell my Rita Moreno story in a few minutes, but she's in that role. And what makes that scene interesting, because you've created this character, um, that Rita Moreno can now play as an older woman, she's 90 or something, yeah. um, is that she suffered the same fate, right? Yeah. That's the power of the scene. Here's a woman who was, you know, it, again, this is in, in movie terms, she was raped. Correct. And here she is stopping a rape of basically her younger self. And that scene falls so flat. It is so devoid of any dramatic power and that is so disappointing because yes, that's the scene that should have and could have been the apex of the movie when you have all of those pieces together that's what should happen it's just you you, you put the dynamite all together you light the fuse you step back and you say okay rita moreno go for it anita dubose who's obviously a very powerful actress here it is. Go for it. Yeah. And you just let that work. And it, it is so uh, flaccid, a scene. It, 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 uh, it's shocking how ineffective that scene is. Um, and Like they always say that in movies, actors and directors look for like three scenes, that if you got three scenes out of a movie, you could have potentially an Academy Award winning turn. You know, it could be like one of those things when they do compilations of like, you know, the history of cinema that scene had everything you could possibly want from an acting standpoint, from a directing standpoint, from a historical standpoint, from a topical, like, you know, public, like everything. You literally couldn't have loaded more into that scene. And when it was over, I was like, oh my gosh, they fumbled it. The whole thing just yeah. didn't work on any level. And I was like, yeah. whoa, what a missed opportunity. Especially a missed opportunity for a film that is trying to mean something. In, in terms yeah. of the current culture. So again, yeah. the, the, the Latino representation, all that sort of stuff. There's a character in, in, the, um, in the movie, Anybody's, which is uh, in the original, it's, it's, a, it's just a tomboy. Uh, it's a girl, she's a tomboy. And in this movie, they make it very clear that uh, it's a transgender character and they add uh, scenes 
and dialogue to make sure that that's clear. And they make that actually this very, uh, they try and make it this very poignant point actually at the end of that sequence with the rape and everything. Yeah. And I'm just like, what are you doing? Now, I have no problem with making the character transgender, updating it in that sense. You know, that's fine. But it just felt so distracting to the, to the drama that we just had. It felt like just, hey, let's, let's, I know what we'll do. We'll put a different hat on this character. It'll make everything in the movie better. And it's like, no, you literally just walked past the most powerful scene you could add so you could get to somebody saying to this transgender character uh you know add a boy or whatever they have some phrase that makes them acknowledge this character's um uh uh gender the chosen gender so that's weird um and now i'm gonna just say something about uh rita moreno I, and this is a true story. I know I, I make stuff up here and joke around, but this is true. So the first time I got like real acting job was uh, I got my SAG card and everything was on the TV show Oz, which was on HBO. It's a prison drama. Um, I, out of the blue, got this gig. It was a very strange job, um, very bizarre. But the cast there was loaded. I mean, just incredible cast. I got to work with Harold Perrineau, who, who, speaking of which, he was in Romeo and Juliet uh, in the 90s with Leo, he played Mercutio. He's a phenomenal, great actor. He's a very, very nice guy. Um, but I did a scene with Rita Moreno. And here I am, just like newbie guy, right? And all of a sudden, it's just me and Rita Moreno doing the scene. <laughs> Right. So I am like in way over my head and I'm just like, holy shit, this is Rita Moreno. Um, <laughs> another <laughs> strange story is I came out of my dressing room, room once and Gavin McLeod was, um, <laughs> was on the show and he, he plays a cardinal or a bishop or something. And he's dressed up in his, his uh, costume and we, we, his dressing room was next to him. We almost bumped into each other and it was so weird bumping into Gavin McLeod, Captain Steubing. It like I was just like, what what world am I living in? Anyway, um, I do the scene with Rita Moreno, and she was without question not just on that show, but in everything I've done since, in every interaction I've ever had since with famous people, or you know, and I've had you know a lot. I mean, this is the business that we're in. She was easily the nicest, kindest, most gentle, most thoughtful person I've ever come in contact with, with in the entertainment industry. She was unbelievably, she went out of her way to make me feel comfortable. She um, actually stopped a scene at one point and went and got something for me and I was just like what the fuck is happening right now this is Rita Moreno and you know unbelievable human being so I was very glad to see her in this um she has a, a moment where she sings uh can't remember there's a place for us I don't remember the name of the song but that's you know what it is um and so I'm glad to see that and She's a wonderful person. We should all root for Rita Moreno. We should all be grateful that she exists. Um, but getting back to the movie, the movie is not as good as Rita Moreno. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. It's just not. Um, I literally, I, I don't think there's any wrap-up needed. I mean, <laughs> if that's not the greatest <laughs> yeah. summation of a movie. Now, this could have been you know, a 12-time Oscar-winning film, and it still would fit under the category <laughs> not as good as Rita Moreno. <laughs> Somehow it's perfect nonetheless. It is. It's perfect. So, yeah, we're going to wrap up. Um, final conclusion. Any closing thoughts on West Side Story? Do you recommend it to people, even, even when it comes out streaming or anything like that? I mean, if you haven't seen the original, 
I'd say see the original first. Yes, you have uh, totally, you know, totally. Because it's also Look, kind the of original, fun. The original is flawed, but boy, it, as a cinematic experience, well, even though it's dated, you got to see it. I mean, people now don't know the name Robert Wise, but he was Steven Spielberg of his era. I mean, he yeah. was he was in he was on the the pantheon of greats. Um, if you if you love the music, I mean, I don't think this is the best renditions of the music. You know, I agree. The, the singing isn't as good, but the songs are still enjoyable. Um, I mean, to me, if you heard, "Hey, they're remaking West Side Story," and you're excited, you're gonna like the movie. If you're like me and like, why is this happening? Uh, I don't think you're going to like the movie. I think it's a pretty self-sifting yeah. <laughs> whether or not you should see it. <laughs> it is. And, you know, maybe some other time we'll get into it. But uh, I didn't know which way this was going to go, this movie, uh, in terms of how the public would receive it. It's Spielberg. He, yeah. He's a beloved figure. And West Side Story, you know, theater nerds love this stuff. And rightfully so, you know, like it's Sondheim for Christ's sake. Yeah, absolutely. but um, you know, the music is is great in West Side Story. I don't think it's particularly great in this movie, but this movie bombed hard. Yeah, and people can say, oh, you know, you know, musicals this year have bombs, you know, across the board. But the fact that you know, like a week later, um, or, or two weeks later, Spider Man just, you know went nuclear at the box office that it's not surprising because the problem is right now with all the problems of people being anxious and all that people are desperate right now to laugh to forget and be whisked away they don't want to have a giant mirror shown in the face being like here's the fault of humanity we see that every day in every news story (laughs) with every interaction and i feel like the only movies that have a real shot of being really commercially successful are ones that give us an escape as opposed to our mirror there are times when society likes and is willing and has a tolerance to look at mirrors i do not believe now is one of them and i think that's why spider-man came in (laughs) and filled a void that's been you know we we just need to escape for a minute yeah i i mean i think that that's that's true i do think um that (laughs) Um, I did, like I said, I didn't know which way it was going to go. And the fact that it, it was getting so much praise and just, I mean, I went, I went to, I went to the first screening of this movie and there, it was me and three other people. Uh, I went to the first screening of Spider-Man and that theater was sold out and I get it. It's two different things. And yes, but it just, it indicates, like you say, people want something now and Hollywood's got to figure it out. And I think they understand in a sense, I'll be interested and we're going to finish with this, but I remember in 2005, it was you know three years, essentially after 9-11, there was a real uh, comeback for comedy. Yeah. So you had like wedding crashers and 40 year old virgin, things like that. And I wonder if maybe after, you know, maybe three years from now, we're going to get that. Please. That is the I most know, hopeful statement you've ever said on this podcast. And I, I hope know. to God it's true. <laughs> now, of course, the problem is, is that the culture has changed where comedy is sort of being suffocated. But I, I sure hope that's true. And I hope that after this, we do, you know, adult movies that are geared towards grownups, yes. which Agreed. I don't think West Side Story is trying to be, but it isn't. But, you know, like The Last Duel did not do well. Uh, I wish it did. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a Ridley Scott movie, for God's sake. Yeah. Um, anyway, those those are our passing thoughts. I would say with West Side Story, if you're a theater nerd, see it in theater. You, you're going to love it. Uh, if you're just a, uh, a movie musical fan. I actually don't know if you're going to love this movie. Um, I'd say just watch it on streaming. It's fine. Yeah, I'd agree with that. You know? Uh, yeah, so that's it. All right. Uh, everybody, should I leave it? Which song should I sing to take us out? Uh, um, tomorrow from Annie. Just really <laughs> confuse our audience. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe I'll do that next time. I'll do I'll do songs from Annie. Every episode of our podcast, I'm gonna sing a song. Oh my god, I'm so excited for this. Yeah, you love my singing. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Look in California Film, Minnesota, the West Side Story story. Uh, We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time on the podcast.